Last week, I told you about a grandmother that came to me who had a burden on her heart, if you recall. And her burden was for her grandsons that they would follow her God, that they would know what she believed, and that they would believe what she believed. And she brought me this notebook, spiral-bound notebook, in which she had written all of these things that she believed. And with the things that she believed, like list of doctrines, she put passages of Scripture that she wrote out with each one. It was a, it was a beautiful document that she'd spent a long time on. And she said, Pastor, I want to leave this document with you. I want you to see what I believe and what I want my grandsons to believe. And then I'm going to come back later. I want, I want you to tell me what you think about this document, if it's good. So a week or two later, she came back to my study, and I had given it a great deal of thought. I said to her, of course, this is a beautiful document. It's got list of doctrines that you believe. And next to the list of doctrines, you have passages of Scripture. This is good. But I said, you know what's interesting, though, is the Bible specifically tells us how we're supposed to pass down truth to our children and grandchildren. And even though documents like this are good, what you really have here is a personal systematic theology. It's list of propositions, list of things that are true. And next to them, you have Bible verses to prove that those things come from the Bible, and that's good. But it doesn't happen to be the way that God gave us his truth. And it doesn't happen to be the way that God told us to pass his truth down to others. As a matter of fact, if you, if you listen carefully, when I read today's text, you will see the way that God intends for us to pass truth down to our children. This is Psalm 78, verses 1 through 7. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable and utter dark sayings from of old. I will open my mouth in a parable and utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob. A testimony is a biography. It's a story. He told a story with the nation of Israel, he's saying. He established a, a testimony, a story in Jacob, appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children the next generation might know them, that the next generation might know them. Verse 6, the children yet unborn arise and tell them to their children that they would set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Psalm 66 and verse 16 says this, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he's done for my soul. 
God's intent is that everyone on planet Earth would have a, an ex personal experience with the living God and establish a testimony, a story of their experience with the living God. That's God's desire, that we pass to our children and grandchildren our stories of our experience with the living God. And that's what we'll see in part. Obviously, this is a series of messages that will go through the month of June. So you, you want to attend faithfully or watch, these, watch them all together to get all of them together. But God powerfully uses the stories that we tell in the times that we have with our families to establish our testimony, our, what we believe. It's a dark thing to talk about and hard to, to say. But this not only works in a very positive way, but it also works in a very negative way. God uses stories. Satan uses stories everywhere. Where does a young child learn to hate a person of a different color? Where does a young child learn gave a sense of superiority over someone else that God created. How does that happen? One of the ways that happens is through the stories that are told in private. Sometimes parents will sit around and they will glorify the sin of their, of their youth. And then they wonder why when their children grow up, rather than following God, they experiment with the things that they always told stories about. What the scriptures are saying here in Psalm 78 is that we, if we want to pass the faith down, and we should, to pass the faith down from one generation to the next, if we are frustrated or irritated or discouraged about the generations to come and we're afraid that they're not going to follow God, that what we should do is establish a testimony with our own life. We should, we should gather a series of personal stories about our own experience with a living God. And the text today actually gives us some categories. In the next few weeks, we'll talk about a number of those categories, but about three of them today. Let me, let me show you them. They, they are displayed in a neat package, if you will, in verses 12 through 16. In the sight of their, he's talking about establishing a testimony with the children of Israel or the sons or daughters of Jacob. In verse 12 says, in the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zoan. He divided the sea and let them pass through and made the waters stand up like a heap. In other words, he protected them. Verse 14, in the daytime, he led them with a cloud, all the night with a fiery light. In other words, he directed them. He protected them. He directed them. In verse 15, he split rocks in the wilderness to give them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock. He caused the waters to flow down like rivers. Notice he says in verse 20, he struck the rock so the water gushed out and the streams overflowed. He gave them bread to provide meat for his people. Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath and kindled, fire was kindled against Jacob. Anger rose against Israel. 
when they complained in the wilderness. But it says, he commanded, verse 23, commanded the skies above and opened the doors of the heaven and rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. And man ate the bread of angels. He sent them food in abundance. In other words, he said, I established a story with Israel. I gave them protection. I gave them direction. I gave them provision. Now, I protected them when they were pursued by the armies of Egypt. He miraculously protected them by allowing them to pass through the sea on dry land, and the sea swallowed up their, their enemies. And that's a story that you would tell for generations. He directed them with a pillar of fire at night, a pillar of cloud in the daytime. He directed them night and day. And he wanted them always to tell that story. He wanted them to be faithful stewards of the stories, keepers of the story. That's our task as well. Pay attention to the story as it unfolds of God's protection, of God's direction, of God's provision. Write the stories down and tell them over and over again to whoever will hear. God has protected us. God has directed us. God has provided for us. God is good. God is faithful. Hear the story. And now we know why old men tell the same stories over and over again. It's the way God wired us because that's what we're supposed to do. It's interesting here. Notice that we're to tell stories of God's protection. Someone said, the servant of the Lord is indestructible until he's finished the job that God gave him to do. Once I was about 30 years old, and I was trying to be a faithful gospel preacher, and I stumbled into some heavy opposition, and it's, it boiled over into personal opposition. Very threatening, very difficult. The kind of opposition that makes you kind of doubt yourself and keep you awake at night. And during this time, I decided that I would spend some time alone with the Lord. And I would seek the Lord. How, how should I deal with these people who have chosen to be my enemies? And there were some very dark things that were happening. And I found this place called the Mohawk Dam in Ohio, where we lived, out in the country. I decided that I would go and I would spend the day alone with the Lord on the Mohawk Dam. I would read my Bible and I would listen to some tapes of testimonies of God's faithfulness to others. And I would seek the Lord. And the one question that I had in my heart was, God, is this problem because of something I've done wrong? Is it me? Or, or is it something else? I, I want to be open to you. That day, I drove out to this dam, and I had a cassette tape of a testimony of a pastor from the Carolinas. His name was Vance Havner. And I, I put this cassette tape in. It was a testimony that he'd given, a, of an hour-long testimony of years of his of God's faithfulness to him. It's a beautiful story of God's faithfulness to him. I put that cassette tape in, and I sat there at the top of that dam on that summer day, and I listened to that tape. I, I put a link to that recording on the website in the notes for this message. You can see them there. 
But I listened to that, the story of how God provided for Vance Havner, how God protected Vance Havner, how God directed him. My heart was stirred, and then I, I put the, got out of my car, and I went and sat up on a little picnic table, and I opened up my Bible, and I looked down to the water, and I started to pray. And I said, Lord, show me if I brought this upon myself. Show me if this is because of my own, my own sin or my own irritating personality or my own mishandling of the situation. Because if it is, I want to make that right. I opened my Bible at that time to Isaiah, and I was reading in Isaiah with that question in my mind. And this is the passage that I came across. No weapon that is fashioned against you will succeed. And you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their vindication is from me, says the Lord, declares the Lord. After examining my heart, I really believed that what I was trying to do was right. And that the, those that rose up against me in opposition would not succeed. And the things they said would not succeed. Now many years have gone by. And that was immediately proven to be powerfully true. God protected me. God took care of me. While I was sitting there on that picnic table reading that passage, it was like light came to my heart. I thought, God's going to take care of me. God's going to protect me. I can trust him. I knew it. And it's work of the spirit in your soul. You know, I, I knew that passage was for my own heart that day. And that God would protect me, could protect me, would. And then all of a sudden, a dark cloud came over my soul again. And I thought, what about my kids? You all hear about pastors' kids who have seen things in church that have disillusioned them. And as a result of that, they won't have anything to do with church. And they don't want to have anything to do with God. And that put a dark cloud over my heart. Because back home... I had a house full of little kids watching Christian people misbehave. And I thought, but what about them, God? What about my kids? Are they going to be, are they going to rebel because of this? Are they going to be discouraged? Are they going to be disillusioned? Will my kids know you? Will my kids love you? I looked back down at my Bible, and my eyes fell on this verse. Isaiah 54, 13. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. Now I know not to wrest scriptures out of their context and claim promises for myself that God gave to somebody else. But here is what the Lord so clearly told me on that dam, at the Mohawk Dam that day. I can take care of you, and I can take care of your kids. I can protect you, and I can protect your children. And I can stand here today, many years later, and I can tell you that he has faithfully done that. And I can promise you that if you trust him, he will protect you, and that you are indestructible until you finish the task that God gave you to do. Some people, our task is martyrdom. Some people, our task is suffering. And we'll have a season of prosperity or a season of need. There's no promise that you're not going to have difficulty. But God can sustain you. And God 
can hover over your family and over your children, and he'll go where you cannot go, and he'll say what you can't say, and he'll do what you can't do. Not long after that, I came across this promise in Scripture in Isaiah 44. I've always loved it. I will pour out my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants, and they will spring up like willows by the watercourses. God is able to save your children and your grandchildren. Able to access their hearts by his spirit so that they will spiritually flourish. You might be thinking right now, but I have children who, who aren't following the Lord. Well, you're still breathing, aren't you? So that at least then there's going to be one person on earth who will pray as long as his heart is beating that they will know God and they will love God. And you can be an example you can be an unflagging example of faithfulness. You can gather stories of God's protection and tell them to your children. You can show them what it looks like to repent. You can show them what it looks like to have a tender heart for God. You can show them what it looks like to love the things of God. You can be an example. You can pray. You can love them. You can wisely speak when the Spirit gives you the, the, the clearance to speak. You can meekly and gently and in a timely way, you can lay truth into their lives. But this is something we can't be discouraged from doing. Telling stories of God's protection. Another one there is the stories of God's direction. Go through your own life and look at examples of when God, you should, God guided you. You can usually tell this by looking back. And maybe you didn't even realize it at the time, but God had his sovereign hand on your life and he was spilling out his providence in your life in a way that was much more beautiful than you even knew at the time i was in gallup new mexico for a wedding and a wedding ended and we had an evening free and so uh, we went looking for a restaurant and we found this little little restaurant this adorable little little place and we had something to eat and then after dinner was over it was the four of us there. And, and after dinner was over, we fell into one of those delightful conversations about the things of the Lord. And there's a young man there named Jesse. I said to Jesse, I said, Jesse, can you tell me an example of a time when you had the sense that God was speaking to you? Can you tell me an example of a time when you had a sense that God was speaking to you, that God was guiding you. He said, you know, I can. He said uh, he, he had graduated from college. He'd done some other things. And he was trying to decide if he should go to seminary. He's a devout Christian guy. And he thought, well, maybe I, now that I've graduated from college, I've done some other things, maybe I should go to seminary. But then he also had the opportunity to go immediately to the mission field in Tanzania. And so he did what wise young men do. He prayed, read his Bible, talked to his dad. Dad is a devout believer, a pastor. His dad said, well, I think it might be a good idea for you to talk to our denominational leaders in their fellowship of churches and ask wisdom from them. And so he did what his dad said, and all of them said, no, he said, don't go running off to the mission field. Go to seminary first. And that's pretty good sound advice. Get as much training as possible before you go off. They, they all said to him, no, I think, Jesse, it would be best for you to go to seminary and then wait to go to the mission field. 
So he went home and his spirit was restless about that. And he said one day he was reading his Bible and praying to God, God, give me clear and certain guidance about what I should do. And there at the table in the restaurant that night, Jesse said that while he was reading his Bible, he came across this passage from the Apostle Paul in Galatians 1, where he had, Paul had a burden to go give the gospel to others. And, and, and then he was seeking the mind of the Lord. And here's what it says. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, who had called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the nations, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and I returned to Damascus. Paul said, when I had a stirring in my heart to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles, I didn't ask counsel of men. I didn't even ask counsel of leaders. He said, I went to the desert and I asked God. And when Jesse read that, he felt a sense in his soul that he should not take the advice of the denominational leaders in this case, but that he should follow his inclination to go to the mission field. So he picked up his phone, and he called his dad. And he said, Dad, you know, when I asked you for counsel, you said, go to these leaders. But he said, but I was reading my Bible, and this is the sense that I had. What should I do? And his dad said, do what the Lord told you to do, son. Jesse went to the mission field, to Tanzania. He spent four years in Tanzania field, during which time there was a young lady who happened to follow his blog, our daughter Holly. I like to believe that God, that one of the greatest gifts that Jesse's ever had is our daughter Holly, because that's just the way I see it. And that is the path that God took him. You know, you need to have your own God's direction in your life. And you probably have them. You may not have written them down. You may not have recognized them. But look back over your life. Look at the way God led you. Get those stories. Get good at telling those stories. You are the keeper of the story. You are the keepers of the stories. The stories that transform the lives of other people. The stories that help other people believe that there is a living God who involves themselves in affairs of a common man, a common woman, a young person. And then, of course, the next thing is stories of God's provision. I, I was walking by my closet one day years ago, and I kept my shoes on the top shelf, my dress shoes. They had a favorite pair of loafers, dress shoes, on the top shelf. I had a Cordovan pair. This is more than you want to know about me, I know. And a black pair. The black pair were my wedding and my funeral shoes, you know, the pastor shoes you have to have. I loved those shoes. I reached up that morning and I noticed that, that, that you could see through the sole. It wasn't that I didn't have money for another pair. I just loved those shoes and I wore them out. And I was looking at those shoes. I thought, you know, I really should buy a new pair of shoes. And I thought, well, I can, I can do that. And then I had this little voice in my heart that said, just trust me for that. And I thought, well, is that the Lord or... Did I have too much pizza last night? You know, just trust me for that. That day, I was walking through the Sunday morning. I was walking down the main aisle of the church. Uh, it was the Sunday evening. 
And a man who's now the Lord named Mr. Thomas, he reaches over and he taps my, my arm. And he says to me, Pastor, he says, um, if you give me your shoe size, I'm going to buy you a new pair of shoes. And I smiled and I said, why? Because I, I was very careful not to show that my shoes were worn. They were, he said, I said to him, why? He goes, that's just what I do. I buy shoes for pastors. He goes, I buy a certain kind. They're black loafers. He said, what size do you wear? Every time I put on those shoes, I smile in my heart and think, God knows when I have holes in my shoes. God knows when my kids have holes in their shoes. God knows when the tires are getting thin. God knows when the cupboard's getting bare. God knows you have bills to pay. And one of the most beautiful things you can do is establish a testimony with your own life that God can provide what you need. And write those stories down so that no young person in our age can say, I don't believe in God because he's got a mother, got a father, got a grandma, got a grandpa that says, I have... I can, I can keep you busy all day telling stories of evidence that, that, I, that I serve a living God, that he does answer prayer, that he protects me, that he directs me, that he provides for me. When I was in college, I had, to, I had a little bit of help from my, my, my dad gave me a car and he gave me a gasoline credit card and a $5 a week limit, he said, $5 a week will get you to work. So that was a lot of help, and I was a great, grateful for that. And I had to work all night in a Greasy Spoon restaurant to work my way through the undergrad. It just took so long, and it was so hard. And I always used to think, why other kids, you know, they have their parents pay their way through, or they're real smart to get scholarships. And me, I'm doing dishes, you know, all night. And I, sometimes I would be tempted to complain to the Lord. Why do I have to work all night when other people don't have to do this? Why do I have to work to stay awake in class? Many years later, many, many years later, I had the privilege of being accepted into uh, Moody Bible Institute to the grad school to study in the grad school. And uh, I had to go to the deacons of the church and ask permission to have the time off. The deacons at First Baptist Church in Fremont, Michigan. I went to the deacons and I said, well, I've been accepted into Moody Grad School and I need, to have, I need to be able to have that time off a week at a time to go to the modules. And the, day, the deacons that day immediately gave me permission to have that time off. And then one of them said, how are you going to pay for that? And then he said to the other deacons, I think the church should pay for that. And then immediately all the deacons voted to pay for every dime of my graduate work at Moody. Every time I drove into Chicago, I blessed my God for him taking care of me. Hey, interesting. Anything about Moody, it was a great privilege for me to study at Moody, and I loved it, and, and it was a sacred place for me. But one day I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about how God works, and I was thinking about how grateful I was for a place to learn about God like that. But it occurred to me that even the best seminary isn't the best place to learn about God. And I wrote this down. Can I read it to you? 
by God's remarkable kindness and provision, I'm a graduate of the Moody Graduate School in Chicago. It was a wonderful place to learn. Have you ever considered, though, that formal theological institutions like Moody or other places like that, they're not the primary place that God intends for his people to learn theology? There is no institution on earth that is better equipped as a place of learning about God than the simplest Christian home. Can I repeat that? There is no institution on earth, no seminary, no college, no camp. There is no institution on earth that's better equipped as a place of learning about God than the simplest Christian home. There are no professional teachers or professors who can have the impact a father or mother can have on a child in the home. The idea that the primary place to learn theology is in the high arched halls of academia did not come from the Bible. Oh, any place is a good place to learn theology, including theological institutions. But the primary place God intends for us to learn about God is at our father's side, at our mother's feet, in our grandmother's lap. And maybe the best context for learning God's truth is beside a generous piece of your grandmother's apple pie, hot from the oven, cooled by homemade vanilla ice cream, drizzled with caramel. I learned a lot from the fender of my grandfather's tractor from my place beside him at the workbench, from the margin of a farm pond, fishing for bass and crappie on a summer evening. I always hung on his every word there. Every once in a while, I've had an interview with a church, and the, and the people at the church want to know about my theological education. And they, they, naturally, this is what you do. The leaders of the church will say, tell us about your theological education. And I know what they're asking. What institution did you graduate from? What degree did you get? But whenever they ask that question, you know the visual that pops immediately into my mind? Immediately, I'm in a little tiny church in Logansville, Ohio, in an after-school club, and my mom is teaching all the kids the Bible. That's where I learned about God. When I got to the theological institutions, they deepened it a little and repeated it a lot, but it wasn't different. That's where I learned about God. Grandma, you have a powerful influence in this world. Tell them the stories about your experience with God and never stop. Be an example, be humble, be loving, be prayerful, and be a keeper of the story. And can I say, I'll just ask you this. Have you gotten discouraged about the power of giving your testimony to your children, your grandchildren, and others. Uh, let, me, let me continue my little essay. According to Psalm 78 and Deuteronomy 6, home is the best place to learn theology. Home is where theology really sticks to your ribs, and that's why we're commanded to teach about God at home. The greatest teacher that ever graced the earth changed the world by training a dozen men as they walked the lakeshore, camped out in the mountains, went fishing, jostled through the city rubbing shoulders with raw humanity and that's the way it is at home learning just slips up on you when you aren't paying attention and before you know it you have a lesson lodged in your heart that you'll never forget and i want to ask you this before i pronounce the benediction and send you home today this is probably the most important question today and that is can you personally tell a story about your own salvation could you tell a story about your own salvation? Do you have a testimony, a story of how God brought you to conviction about your sin? 
A story about how God brought you to confidence that Jesus died for your sin. A story about a time when you placed your faith and trust in Jesus. Do you have a story, a testimony that you're born again? If you don't today, please let us meet with you. Let us talk with you. Let us help walk you through that. So you have a story of a testimony about your trust in the Lord. And let me leave you today with this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May you gather stories of God's protection, direction, and provision until you have a testimony of personal experience with the reality of the living God. And may God empower that testimony to influence generations to come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.